It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's always powered by KSLSports.com. I'm your host and Utes Insider, Trevor Allen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a jam-packed show. As you know, there's a whole lot of news that transpired over the weekend in the Pac-12, and we will be breaking it down coming up. You'll hear a conversation between me and Tom Hackett on the KSL Sports front page talking about Utah's 2020 football schedule as that was released on Friday. And then also a good friend of mine and SiriusXM host and KSL Sports columnist Sean O'Connell will join me to talk about the list of demands by the Pac-12 student-athletes as they try to create change within the conference for student-athletes. Now first we will go through the schedule that came out, the 10-game conference-only schedule for Utah, and that will begin on September 26th on a Saturday they will be at Washington State and then they will head to Boulder on Saturday October 3rd to take on Colorado their home opener will be Saturday October 10th against Oregon State before having a a short turnaround and heading over to UCLA on Friday October 16th their bye week will be Saturday October 24th and then they will host Arizona on Halloween and then will be out on the road to take on Arizona State on Saturday November 7th And then we'll be back home the week after on Saturday, November 14th against Washington. And then back out on the road on Saturday, November 21st at California. And then Friday, November 27th, they will host the UCLA Bruins. And then the season finale, in the regular season that is, will be Saturday, December 5th against the Oregon Ducks. So that's the football schedule. And uh, Tom Hackett and I will give our thoughts on what we think Utah's record will be coming up then on sunday and like saturday night sunday morning the uh, pac-12 student athletes released a movement that they're doing called we are united it's all over social media players are based the student athlete in the pac-12 lay out a list of demands of what they want the conference to change and if those demands are not met players are willing to opt out of the season and not play. Now, if you look at the column that uh, Sean O'Connell did, that's on our website, but we'll dive into it coming up next segment with him. The players, the uh, student-athletes, did an article on the Players' Tribune. And I'll kind of go through the uh, We Are United part on, on a social media first before I get into the list of demands. 
says, because NCAA sports exploit college athletes physically, economically, and academically, and also disproportionately harm black college athletes. Hashtag we are united. The next one. In rejecting the NCAA's claim that hashtag black lives matter, while also systematically exploiting black athletes nationwide. Hashtag we are united. Because we are being asked to play college sports in a pandemic, in a system without enforced health and safety standards, and without transparency about COVID cases as our teams, the risks to ourselves and our families and our communities. Hashtag we are united. Because we must have adequate COVID testing to help protect our health. Hashtag we are united. Because we are prohibited from securing representation while being asked to sign documents that may serve as liability waivers. Hashtag we are united. Because we should not be stuck with sports-related medical expenses, including COVID-19-related expenses. Hashtag we are united. Because any player who does not feel comfortable playing this season should be free to opt out without losing their scholarship or any eligibility. Hashtag we are united. Because immoral rules would punish us for receiving basic necessities or compensation for the use of our names, images, and likenesses while many of us and our families are suffering economically from the COVID-19 fallout. Hashtag we are united. Because we should be included in equitably sharing the revenue our talents generate, especially in a pandemic. Hashtag we are united. Because unjust rules prevent the 98% of college football and basketball players who won't go pro from capitalizing economically on what would otherwise be the most valuable years of our lives, including many black players from low-income homes. Hashtag we are united. Because eliminating lavish salaries and facility expenditures to preserve all sports must be prioritized. Hashtag we are united. Because the NCAA has failed us and we are prepared to ensure that our conference treats us fairly whether or not it continues its NCAA membership. Hashtag we are united. And finally, informing alliances with college athletes from other conferences to unite with us for change. Hashtag, we are united. Now, the list of the, uh, the unity demands. First, it is to protect and benefit both scholarship and walk-on athletes. The first one is health and safety protections, COVID-19 protections, and allow option not to play during the pandemic without losing athletics eligibility or spot on our team's roster. And then number two on that is prohibit slash void COVID-19 agreements that waive liability. And then the next one is mandatory safety standards, including COVID-19 measures. Number one, player approved health and safety standards enforced by a third party selected by players to address COVID-19 as well as serious injury, abuse, and death. And then the uh, number two on that, protect all sports. Preserve all existing sports by eliminating excessive expenditures. And then number one, Larry Scott, administrators and coaches to voluntarily and drastically reduce excessive pay. Number two on that, end performance slash academic bonuses. Number three, end lavish facility expenditures and use some endowment funds to preserve all sports. And then the uh, third item on here, end racial injustice in college sports and society. And then number one on that third item, Form a permanent civic engagement task force made up of our leaders, experts of our choice, and university and conference administrators to address outstanding issues such as racial injustice in college sports and in society. And then number two on that 
in partnership with the Pac-12, 2% of conference revenue would be directed by players to support financial aid for low-income black students, community initiatives, and development programs for college athletes on each campus. And then number three, form annual Pac-12 Black College Athlete Summit with guaranteed representation of at least three athletes of our choice from every school. And then item number four is economic freedom and equity. Guaranteed medical expense coverage. Number one, medical insurance selected by players for sports-related medical conditions, including COVID-19 illness, to cover six years after college athletics eligibility ends. Name, image, and likeness rights and representation. Number one, the freedom to secure representation, receive basic necessities from any third party, and earn money for use of our name, image, and likeness rights. Fair market pay rights and freedoms. Number one, distribute 50% of each sport's total conference revenue evenly among athletes in their respective sports. Number two, six-year athletic scholarships to foster undergraduate and graduate degree completion. Number three, elimination of all policies and practices restricting or deteriorating our freedom of speech, our ability to fully participate in charitable work, and our freedom to participate in campus activities outside of mandatory athletics participation. Number four, ability of players of all sports to transfer one time without punishment and additionally in, in cases of abuse or serious negligence. Number five, ability to complete eligibility after participating in a pro draft if player goes undrafted and foregoes professional participation within seven days of the draft. And number six, due process rights. Okay, now, first we're going to talk about the schedule, now that you guys have all the information you need. Now, here is my conversation with Tom Hackett and I on the KSL Sports front page. Welcome in to the KSL Sports front page, brought to you by University Federal Credit Union. Today is a little bit of a different spin to it, as we will do two different KSL Sports front pages today. I am Trevor Allen. I'm the host of the Crimson Corner, and I'm the Utes Insider, joined by another Utes Insider, but he actually played for the Utes, uh, Tom Hackett. He's the host of the It's Utah's World podcast. Tommy, how are you, man? I'm good, Trev. I'm good. we got a lot to talk about. So uh, at 1.58 p.m., Trev, by the way, you're meant to be off today, so thanks for coming on, but at 1.58 yeah. p.m. this afternoon, the Pac-12 released uh, an email or sent an email that kind of depicted the upcoming football schedule for every team, not just Utah's, but we now have Utah's 2020 team. Let's go through the schedule and uh, talk about the games because that's kind of what we're here to do, whether we like them, whether we don't like them. It's going to be a little bit different. As we already know, it is a conference-only schedule, but it's also 10 games. So normally in a regular world, which we know that that's not the case this year, it is a nine-game conference schedule for the youths playing in the Pac-12. But they have now scrapped the non-conference game, so no BYU game, no Wyoming game, and but they also added one conference game. And that one conference game is a team who beat Utah to win the Pac-12 title, and that's the Oregon Ducks. And it's a game that's in a month that we're not used to, in the month of December, where Utah and Oregon will clash here in Salt Lake City. So uh, a little bit of snow maybe, Tom. But uh, overall, what were your thoughts when the schedule came out? Because we knew it was happening. We knew it was going to be a 10-game schedule. 
we knew Oregon was going to be added to that schedule. We just didn't know when, where, you know, and all that stuff. I, I really like the schedule, um, Trev. The, it's a 10-game schedule, uh, as you mentioned, five home, five away, and I like that. I think that's, you know, that's equal uh, for the most part. And I really enjoy the the front end of the schedule. I, I think Washington State, Colorado, Oregon State, UCLA, and Arizona, I think they're all really winnable games for the Utes, and there's a good chance that Utah starts their season Five and zero, oh, which is which is really exciting for a Utah very fans. Good now, chance. make no mistake, the, the back end is I don't want to say problematic, but it's certainly difficult. I think Arizona gauntlet, State's an man. issue. It's a I think Arizona State, Washington, Cal. That defense at Cal is always problematic for Utah, and then USC and Oregon. I mean, I think those 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 back end games, the last five games of the season. I mean, that'll tell us everything we need to know about what Utah's made of this year. But I'll say this, if Utah can get off to a good start, and maybe they don't go 5-0, and maybe they start 4-1, and um, but if they start 3-2, and I think there's there's certainly reason for concern moving forward. Let's just assume they start 5-0 and or 4-1 and for, for argument's sake, Trev. You know, momentum and confidence is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and more so in the world of college athletics when we're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old kids that in between the years aren't quite as developed as what you'll see in the National Football League or other pro sports around the world. And if you can get confidence and momentum, I'm just telling you that Cinderella stories happen in large part because of the confidence gained from previous uh, matches or or games or whatever you want to call them. And so uh, I I am really excited. I, I was really happy when I saw the schedule as a Utah fan myself. I thought this is about as good of a schedule as Utah could have possibly asked for. What about yourself? I mean, I, I look at it at you know the exact same way because if you look at it, Utah is going to have so many new faces, especially on defense. But then you're also going to have a new quarterback, a new running back, and a new uh, left tackle. And I know that as far as the uh, tackle spot, some of the guys are moving over. I've heard that uh, Nick Ford could move over to left tackle after playing some guard last year. But you look at it, Tom, on defense, nine new starters. And a lot of them are going to be freshmen sophomores, redshirt freshmen, it's going to be a lot of new guys and to not be able to have spring ball to get them ready. I know I know that we've talked about that. I think that you couldn't have asked for a better way. I, I mean, the only other way that you could have had this set up better for Utah is if they didn't have to start two games on the road before playing their, their first home game. I think if they would have had the uh, season opener at home, I think it would be better. But still, you're going up against teams that are kind of in the uh, same boat as Utah with, with a Washington State. You look at them. Likely you're going to see the the kid out of a Lehigh, Cameron Cooper, be the uh, quarterback as a sophomore under Nick Rolovich. They also have a really good running back in Max Borgie. And it's going to be a little bit of a different offense. It's not going to be straight air raid. It's going to be more of that uh, run, run and shoot. And they're going to, they like to pass the ball and, um, and really sling it around, but not at the rate that uh, Coach Leach did when he was there before he took off to go to Mississippi State. And then you look at Colorado. They end up bringing in a, a, a new coach because Mel Tucker decided to go over to Michigan State, and that was kind of a last-minute thing, Tom. We know that there was a lot of drama surrounding that and and not being able to get your guys in. It's a little bit different. But then, you you know, two weeks – I mean, as you look at it, Tom, as a guy who played college football, two games on the road first before playing at home, does that mess? And, you know, you even, you even talked about it a little bit up in the mind. Is that going to mess with these guys, especially with the, so many young guys on this roster? 
I must admit, it's incredibly difficult for me to talk about, Trev. And the reason I say that is is because 2020 brings different challenges. And, and there will be some stadiums that are completely empty. There'll be others, uh, for example, Utah, Rhino, they'll have a better idea of where they stand when it comes to uh, fans in the stands for game day. In about one to two weeks is what Mark Island mentioned this afternoon on, on a little press conference he did with, with media members. Um, but I'm not entirely sure as to whether or not a home field advantage is all that prevalent this season. I really don't know because if Utah gets fans in the stands, I imagine we see, and I'm just guessing, I'm assuming, so don't quote me to this, but I, ma- I imagine anywhere between, you know, maximum, maximum 20,000 people. That's half the stadium. Yeah. And mm-hmm. half a stadium, let me tell you, feels like maybe a quarter of a state. It just doesn't. So I don't think the impact of fans is, is going to mean much this season. But I could, I, I, look, I could be wrong. I, again, I'm just guessing. I haven't experienced it myself, so it's incredibly difficult for me to talk about. And, and, and with where America's at as a whole, right, West, the entire West Coast, if you want to kind of regionalize it, um, the coronavirus isn't going anywhere anytime soon. It's not like there are some states out there that have very little to, if any, cases. I mean, for the most part, every state has their own challenges, some better than others, but even the ones that are doing okay aren't doing great. So I just don't think uh, Utah will come up against a a stadium on the road where it's loud and obnoxious and like what they're used to seeing. So I don't think, Trev, that the the away games mean that much. Every football field's the same dimension. It's 120 yards long, 52 and a a half yards wide or whatever it is. And so I think think they're going to be okay. It's just altitude will come into things, heat, humidity, how dry the air is. I think that'll play more of a factor than the fans will. And that's something they deal with uh, year in and year out. So um, what's your thought as we kind of wrap this this little 15-minute spiel up before we hand it over to uh, some of our colleagues? What's your overall feel as to their, their end record, Trev? I think that they'll go 4-1 and one to start out. I think that they'll probably lose to Washington State only because that's going to be a little bit of a different feel of an offense. And you are you have a, such a young secondary that I think that Nick Rolovich is going to try and, and take advantage of that. Um, other than that, I, I think that they, uh, you know, glide through the, the rest of the games. I think Oregon State uh, will have a little bit of a challenge, especially because they have a really talented defense coming back. Um, so I would say four and one right there. And I'm just going to kind of go down this, and I would like your thoughts too. So through five games, what do you have then? Uh, I have five and zero. Five and zero. Okay. So I'm yeah. four and one. You're you're five and zero. And then we go to to Tucson taking on the Arizona State Sun Devils on the road. Um, it, 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 you know, it's a really good quarterback in Jaden Daniels. I think that that's going to be a game that is kind of a toss up. I think Utah can can uh, squeak that one out though. What about you? Uh, you said Tucson, Trev. You meant Tempe. Or Tempe. Tempe, Tucson, yeah. That's all right. Same, same, but different. I think they lose (laughs) that game. That's, uh, that's a game I think they lose. Um, and the reason behind that is it's just for whatever reason. It's like, it's like, it's like Arizona State and USC, Trev. I'm just telling you. I, I, and I don't have an answer for it, but they are incredibly difficult places for the University of Utah to win. So I've got that as their first loss on the year. That's November 7th, a Saturday at Arizona State. That's a loss for me. You say they're going to win, huh? Yeah, five and one. I, I think it, it's going to come down to, you know, a field goal probably. 
Um, Cause usually, you know, having covered those games, it's, it's crazy. I mean, we didn't think that we would see a, a you know, 21, three game last year. All right. And then they come back home, taking on Washington. Now, Washington's offense is a little bit different. They, they lose a lot of guys, but their defense is stacked. Bring back so many guys. They're bringing back uh, seven starters from last year on defense. Do the Utes pull off the win over the Huskies? They do. I think they do. I think they beat the Huskies at home. They lose the Wizard. Chris Peterson as their head coach. I think they'll have some growing pains uh, under, the, under his predecessor. And uh, I think Utah gets back on track after a loss to the Sun Devils a week prior and, and picks up the W against the uh, Washington Huskies. Your thoughts? I am with you on that one. So that would mean six wins, one loss, I believe, if I'm counting right. Correct. We're both six yep. and one. You have a okay. loss to uh, who? Washington State. I have a yep. loss to Arizona State. Cal next away from home. I think that one's a loss. Going over to Ooh. Berkeley. Um, Cal is bringing back 17 starters, nine on offense, eight on defense, Tom. That, they only lost five guys, and three of them went into the NFL. Um, this team, having to build it back up from where it was, Justin Wilcox has done a great job, and I think that this is kind of the peak of that rebuild of seeing it all pay off, and I just think that it's going to be a tough challenge for Utah. Cal's going to be really good this year, a team that a lot of people haven't really talked about, so that's the yeah, second loss for me. Sure, I, I think they win that game. Look, you're going to have to – I'm going to have to see it before I believe it when it comes to Cal. I think their defense is good. They lost their best player, though, the linebacker Weaver. He was a talent on offense. Boy, they they, they just suck, if I'm being frank, and – uh, if they have a lot of starters coming back, great. Maybe they'll be better. But again, I need to see it before I believe it. I think Utah can uh, can beat the Cal Bears. Uh, boy, two big games to end the season, both at home, Trev. The USC Trojans visit Rice Eccles Stadium on November 27th. It could well determine the winner of the Pac-12 South. What you got telling you? Uh, I think that the Utes are going to split this one. And I don't think that they're going to beat Oregon. So I'm going to go with a win over the USC Trojans. Um, they're going to be really good, though. They're, they're going to be really good, but I think that Utah just being at home, whether or not you have 20,000 fans or not, it's still different being at home. Um, and by then, they're going to have a lot of games under their belt. I think that they'll be able to pull it off against the uh, Trojans, so that will give seven wins for the Utes for me. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I think Utah beats the Trojans, and my second loss on the year goes to Oregon. I just think Oregon's too good. Um, but but USC is a massive game. I can't wait. Look, I've got an inkling that that Clay Hilton's future may well be determined based on the outcome of that Utah USC game. And I love the man. I, I would hate to see him yeah. depart uh, as the head coach up there at, at USC. But uh, they're going to roll up to Rice Eccles Stadium shortly later. Trev, they'll have their shirts off while they're warming up. They'll be freezing as can be, and uh, they won't want to get touched. And I think Utah puts a can of you-know-what on the old Trojans come Friday, <laughs> November 27. So I'm 8-2, and two, you're 7-3. and three. Uh, we, we have run out of time, unfortunately. We could have been do- we could have done this for a lot, lot longer. But uh, check out the Crimson Corner podcast for more information. You can also check out It's Utah as well. Big thanks to University Federal Credit Union. Uh, enjoy your weekend, Trev. Thanks for taking time out of your day off to do this. And uh, please, guys, don't forget, kslsports.com is where you guys need to be. See you, Trev. See you, Tommy. There you go. That was Tom Hackett and myself on the KSL Sports front page breaking down Utah's 2020 football schedule. I think it's a favorable one. I think it helps ease Utah into a, a schedule with teams that are that should be, I, I don't want to say easier, but 
you know, for a lack of a better word, easier for Utah before heading into a gauntlet last five games of the regular season. But I have Utah going 7-3 and three during that stretch. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we get back, Sean O'Connell and I will talk about the list of demands by the Pac-12 student-athletes. You're listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back into the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by KSLSports.com. I'm your host and Utes Insider, Trevor Allen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you guys missed it on Facebook uh, on Sunday, Sean O'Connell and I went on the KSL Sports front page to talk about the list of demands that the Pac-12 student-athletes have listed as they are about to go and have conversations with the Pac-12 Conference. Welcome into a special KSL Sports front page edition presented by University Federal Credit Union. I am your host and Utes Insider, Trevor Allen, host of the Crimson Corner. And joining me, a special guest. He is a columnist for us, and he is also a SiriusXM Pac-12 host, our very own Sean O'Connell. OC, what's up, man? Chilling. How are you, sir? Doing good. So I wanted to get you on because you wrote a column that people can find over at kslsports.com. And you basically went line by line through the demands. And for those of people who are tuning in that, that don't know what's going on, so of, of what the Pac-12 student-athletes did, they uh, put out a list of demands and uh, you know sent to the conference, and we'll talk about that here shortly. But they're also trying to just create change among the conference and, and, and the way that college athletes are treated. And you went line by line through this, and I just want to get your overall thoughts first of the whole movement of what the student athletes are trying to do. Yeah. First of all, I think it's probably a good move that um, these players are at least articulating what their thoughts and demands are, because there's a lot of uncertainty when you hear people talk about player compensation and um, you know, uh, the, the idea that athletes are exploited at the college level there's a lot of questions that go behind that. What type of compensation are you talking about? And then if you feel everyone's being exploited, in which ways are they being exploited? And this list, whether you agree with all the demands or not, uh, is articulating those demands. It's telling you what the problems they perceive to be are and maybe even leading us in a direction of finding solutions. So I think it's important that we're hearing player voices on this. And, you know, one of the big things is that it's not only talking about um, social justice issues, but it's also talking about this pandemic of what we're going through right now. And, you know, we already saw the 10-game uh, schedule come out for, for the college football schedule for the Pac-12. That came out on Friday. And so that was uh, one of the things where I think we might start seeing players opt out. And this is one of the things where, you know, if 
if these uh, demands are not met by the Pac-12, then players are going to be opting out. Is that kind of the sense you've also gotten? Yeah, and you know we've we've seen guys we've seen uh, I guess one or two prominent players at the college level already announce that they're going to opt out. Those are guys who have definitive NFL futures and usually high 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 draft pick potential, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now that there's a, a plan from the conference, and you know every conference is is kind of moving towards the official announcement of a schedule, uh, players are the ball's in their court, so to speak. The conference has told us this is when we expect you to show up for camp. This is when we expect you to play your first game. This is when we expect you to play your last game. Now for players, it's a decision. What do I want to decide to show up given the entire environment surrounding college football, COVID-19, the racial injustices that are being addressed in our society right now, name, image, and likeness, all of that's happening. And, and the conference's announcement put the ball back in the player's court and the player's response right now is, yeah, no, we're not going to show up. And we've got, what, 17 days or so, 15 days until camps are supposed to start. So um, hopefully some productive conversations can be had between now and then. So now let's kind of go over some of the, uh, you know, demands of what student athletes are, you know, asking for. And they want to benefit both uh, and, you know, also, you know, help with the uh, both scholarship and walk-on athletes and then health and safety protections, COVID-19, all of that, allow option not to play during the uh, pandemic without losing uh, any any college uh, eligibility or spot on on a team's roster. This is something that uh, Larry Scott said on Friday that scholarships would be honored, but the whole how many years do they have left to play is up in the air, right? Yeah, and that's that's a tough thing. There's a logistical nightmare that goes along with granting players an extra season of exemption, right? With effectively a a system-wide redshirt year should you opt out for pandemic uh, purposes. And I respect the decision of any player who wants to protect their own safety or the safety of uh, someone close to them by not playing. But are you going to be granted now six years of eligibility if, you have, if you've already redshirted? Are you going to be, you know, a, a second-year, fifth-year senior? There's There's a lot of things that happen with this. And there's the official position on it, right, where your scholarship is going to be honored, and let's say that you get your eligibility. It's just it's just a wash year. No one no one punches you and takes your eligibility away. That means now, and you're going to have to have 85 scholar instead of 85 scholarships available, 85 plus however many guys you have to carry over for an extra year. And if you've got a sophomore who opts out this year, what does that mean? That now three years from now you have his scholarship plus the 85 scholarships. It's a logistical nightmare for coaches. We spoke with some Pac-12 baseball coaches when the spring sports got canceled, and the announcement was already made. The conference has already said, yeah, we'll grant you an, a year of eligibility next year. A lot of those coaches were encouraging their athletes to move on anyway because the new crop is coming in. There's not enough reps to go around. We know this is already a problem in college football and college basketball and all college sports. So I'm all for making the coaches deal with this logistical nightmare. But players need to realize that you might not be the first choice, even if you're coming back next year. So it actually sounds like that that, I mean, as far as that uh, demand, do you feel like that that's going to be really the only thing is, is how many years left? I mean, we already know they're going to honor scholarships. Yeah, that, 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 man, that demand is going to be met, and that's the right thing to do. But players are going to be put in a position where they have to make a decision that's best for their long-term future. I would argue that being a six-year college student is not always the best idea unless you're 
unless you're getting an advanced degree. There's another one here that is player approved health and, and safety standards enforced by a third party selected by the players to address COVID-19 as well as serious injury, abuse, and death. As you mentioned here in your column, should players really be allowed to choose that a third party? Well, here's the thing. The conference is already working towards safety protocols, extensive safety protocols. The question is, if these have to be player approved, this is not the NFL, Trevor. There's no NFLPA. There's no officially appointed NFLPA representative for each team. So does that mean every Pac-12 institution is going to have a different way of deciding whether or not the protocols put in place are acceptable? Is it going to be the leadership committee? Is it going to be the captains? Is it going to be a majority vote by the team? Uh, we don't know who the we is when it's we get to decide what these safety protocols are, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it a lawyer that's employed by the team? And in, in that case, who's paying that lawyer's fees? Is it the players themselves out of their scholarship checks? Is it the coach's salaries? I mean, we have there's there's so many little layers to this onion that you have to pay attention to. This is only just scratching the surface. I mean, it's going to get really, really detailed here as as they start talking about this uh, further. But one of the other things too that that really stood out and you uh, pointed out on here is that Commissioner Scott, as well as admins, coaches to voluntary take pay cuts, and we all know how much money Commissioner Scott makes how much the conference makes compared to other power five conferences. This one's kind of a big deal. Look, it's, it's clearly an attack at the, the leadership at the top of the conference. And that's not an unreasonable thing to do at this point, right? There's been a lot of criticism and some of those criticisms have been warranted. So I actually applaud the players for recognizing how important the man or woman at the top of the conference is to their individual daily life into their future in this conference uh mentioning larry by name is whew, that's a shot across the bow right mm -hmm. you're asking him to take a pay cut all right seems reasonable he's probably not going to want to you're asking administrators to take a pay cut all right which ones every single one of them you're asking coaches to take a pay cut all right is that only head coaches is that assistant coaches also? Is that your position coach who you have to sit and talk to in a meeting room every single day and is worried about providing his for his family in a job that has absolutely no job security? I mean, these are the conversations that players are going to have to have with their coaches. And the other thing that can't be ignored here is the Pac-12 is already at a disadvantage in comparison to the SEC and the Big Ten in particular when it comes to paying coaches, right? Mm -hmm. So... Mike Leach just left Washington State, not because he hated Pullman, not because he thought Stark Vegas was a better place, or even that he would have more success from year to year at Mississippi State. He left because he's making more money coaching in the SEC. If you in the Pac-12 demand that your coaches voluntarily cut their pay, that means the best coaches who have opportunities elsewhere are going to go elsewhere. Yeah, because money obviously talks. And do you do you see anybody taking any kind of pay cut? I mean, I, I, would, I would imagine some, but several coaches already have. Yeah. Now it hasn't been uh, dramatically publicized in a lot of cases. Justin Wilcox at Cal voluntarily took a pay cut. Some of his assistants did the same thing. Mario Cristobal at Oregon, same thing. We don't really know what the case is with Stanford or USC, but I can't imagine that those coaches in the in. Uh, at the top of athletic departments in crisis are saying, yeah, you're still going to pay me my $4 million. I mean, we don't know everybody who took a pay cut, but a lot of these coaches 
already have. Same is true of basketball coaches. And some of them are making sure that they're in charge of the the donations and kind of where they, they go and who they try and keep employed with them. But it's uh, it's already happening on a voluntary basis. So maybe maybe the player demand for it is a little bit redundant. Here, here's one that, that really stands out, and you and I have talked and, you know, seen that, that this is never going to happen, but where the uh, student-athletes will get 50% of each sport's total conference revenue evenly among athletes in their sport. I mean, there's a lot of sports that, that don't make a ton of revenue. Football and basketball, obviously, are the, the money makers, but this is a pretty big ask. Well, it's an impossible ask, and I think the players and – whoever helped them put this document together, they have to know that, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe, I hope, strategically they put this in as something that they know they're not going to get. They're over-asking, hoping that the conference under-delivers, right? That they find some sort of middle ground, that maybe they can carve off a small percentage, or maybe because they have to say no on 50-50, they have to say yes on a few more things that are in this list of demands. But uh, it's, it's not possible for 50% of basketball and football revenue to go into the pockets of the players. If that happens, you're not going to have baseball at the University of Utah. You're not going to have volleyball at Oregon State. You're not going to have track at Washington State. There's, I mean, a bunch of these programs. We saw Stanford cut 11 varsity programs. It would be way more than that across the board with every athletic department because 50% into players' pockets means 50% that does not fund other athletics. Exactly, and that, and that's why it, it cannot be done. But hopefully that that's not the you know sticking point where if that, if that demand isn't met, then a lot of these guys are going to opt out, right? I, I don't think it is. I think that players are too smart to think that they're actually going to get 50%. And I think that they put this in here so that the, the league – the conference feels they have to concede on some of the less impossible demands. Trust me, for, for all of you out there watching, I would highly recommend going to kslsports.com and clicking on Sean's column. It, it's right here. You guys can see it right there. as his name on it. And he literally goes through line by line of each demand and each, each item that was uh, sent out by the uh, student athletes. So final thing here, Sean, as you look at this, as you look at all of the demands, do you think that this is going to become a problem to the point where we're going to have a very different type of college football season? I know it's already going to be different now, but even more different than what we're already looking at. I don't. I I think what this is, is it's the beginning of a movement in college football where players make sure that their voices are heard in a relatively organized manner. And I applaud that. I think that, uh, most of these people and the and the representatives of these people, whoever those folks are, are going to be reasonable at the end of the day, and they're going to say, "Look, you're you're getting what you wanted when it comes to the COVID testing. You're getting what you wanted uh, when it comes to maybe some of these rule changes or team policies. You're not getting name, image, and likeness in 2020, but in 2021." we're going to have a more detailed plan on how to handle that moving forward. So it's not instant gratification, but it is something we're moving towards. I think at the end of the day, what affects this college football season drastically is the COVID crisis, not this list of demands. And I know there are some things that are interrelated on there, but I think that the conference moves quickly 
uh, and is very transparent on what the policies to keep players safe is going to be. And, and look, there's going to be a bunch of people who sit out. I think Panay Sewell, who's probably the most prominent returning athlete in the entire conference, I don't think he plays this year. But I don't think it's because of this list. I think it's because Panay Sewell knows that he's a top 10 draft pick, whether he sits or whether he plays. And so he's going to make a business decision for himself, for his family, for whoever, to just let it ride, and we'll see you next spring in the NFL draft. And he's not going to be overly hurt by that. And, you know, it's it's not all that different from what we saw Nick Bosa do at Ohio State a couple years ago, right? Yeah. He plays a couple games, gets a minor injury, just like, ah, you know what, I'm sitting. You guys know what I am. You know who I am. And he was the number two overall pick in the draft. So that's kind of what's going to happen. But for the majority of players, you can't do that. Majority of players, they need a season to show the NFL what they've got. They need a season to show their current college coaches what they've got. And the other thing is football players are football players, man. This is what a lot of these guys have been doing since they were six, seven, eight years old every single fall. You know how hard it is to just stop doing that? Yeah. At the end of the day, some of these demands are going to be met, and we're going to get players who want to be out on the field practicing, want to be out on the field playing football. The virus is going to stop it from happening in a normal fashion, but this list of demands, it's not going to be the case. Does this style of what the Pac-12 student-athletes are doing, is this going to pave the way for other student-athletes in Power 5 conferences or in other conferences in college football? Absolutely it is. And I applaud the Pac-12 for producing these kind of athletes. I applaud the University of Athletes who've signed on and have been part of this conversation. Uh, this is something that, I mean, you could make the argument that Northwestern started this movement several years ago, right, when they tried to unionize. So absolutely, you're going to see other athletes piggyback off this. And I think the resolution will be the same in other conferences as well, where some things are met, some things are not. Name, image, and likeness is happening anyway. Maybe this speeds it up a little bit. Um, if, if what we get out of this, Trevor, are improved health and safety protocols regarding the coronavirus for college athletes, that's great for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. That's great for the campuses. That's great for the community. That's great for everyone with more testing. The other thing here, and I want to make sure I mention this, is these demands are being made against the backdrop of students basically claiming we are going to do everything necessary to keep ourselves healthy and safe. And we know that's not the case with college students, right? Yeah. Campuses, parties, a lot of these places are hotbeds because young people don't feel like this is such a big deal and they've been going out and socializing and hanging out in, such, in, the, in the way that they've been recommended not to. So... A lot of these demands are being made against the backdrop of like, hey, we're going to behave perfectly. And we know that's not the case with college athletes. <laughs> and then the other thing I want to make sure I get in here, I know it'd be impossible to, well, not impossible. It'd be very difficult to replace the elite players in every program, right? Guys like Britton Covey and Devin Lloyd and, uh, you know, Panay Sewell, who I already mentioned, It'd be really, really difficult. College football would not be as good without those types of guys. But it happens every year where the University of Washington or Arizona State or Utah has to replace truly great players who feel irreplaceable. It happens every single year. They graduate, they move on to the NFL, whatever, and somebody else steps into their place. So if there's a bunch of people out there right now who feel like I'm not going to play college football because I'm not getting paid. I'm not getting the 50-50 revenue split that I wanted. I promise you there are a dozen folks who are almost as good, not quite as good, 
but they are almost as good who are willing to step into that starting spot. They're willing to step into that backup role even and grab a scholarship because a scholarship is worth a hell of a lot in the world today. It really is. Leaving college with no debt and with good grades and the connections you can make in an athletic department, it's worth a lot of money. It's not the kind you get to carry around in your wallet, but it's worth a heck of a lot of money. I'll ask you this, and I, I could probably ask you this every day and have a different answer. Do you see a college football season in that the Pac-12 is going to play a full 10-game schedule? I don't think we're going to get 10 games out of most teams. I think what we're going to get is a situation where you start, let's, let's take the University of Utah, for example. You start, you play your first three games, no cases, everything's okay. Maybe one or two cases that have to be quarantined. You get to week four, maybe your players went out to a party or something. Now a dozen guys on the team come down with COVID. You got to quarantine the entire team. You got to forfeit your next two games. Or you've got to postpone your next two games and move them. And the Pac-12 has allowed for some flexibility in the schedule specifically for contingencies like this. I think that'll happen at least once with every team in the conference and at least once with every team in the country. So I think what we're going to get is 10 game schedules planned for. And in reality, most teams playing something like seven or eight games. Well, Sean, it's always good to have you on. Tell folks where they can listen to you on uh, Sirius XM. Sirius XM Pac-12 channel is 373 on the dial. So upgrade your package and make sure you get all the conference network channels. And you can find me on all the social media stuff at Real OC Sports. And, of course, you can read stuff occasionally from me on kslsports.com. OC, it's always good to catch up with you, man. Yeah, fun talking to you, Trevor. Thanks. And there you go. That was Sean O'Connell and myself on the KSL Sports front page. You guys can catch that every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. on the KSL Sports Facebook and YouTube pages. And you guys can also uh, keep an eye out for that. So make sure you go and like that page because we do breaking news streams as well on there uh, to get people more informed as we go through. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast. Big thank you to Tom Hackett and Sean O'Connell. And make sure you guys follow me on Twitter. I'm at Trevor A. Sports and at Trevor Allen KSL on Instagram. And then follow us at KSL Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's always powered by kslsports.com. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? 
in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.